Today's episode of Civilized Barking is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting. It's all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Good morning, fellow draft nerds. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast pre-draft edition. We've been counting down for months, as always. It might feel like years. Uh, Maybe you really haven't been paying that close of attention. I understand. Um, You know, interesting for the Browns uh, and Browns fans, from several angles, uh, I know some of you are fatigued by all the change, um, hungover from the hype of last season, leading to more change and instead of changing to winning. I know a lot of people have real-life concerns and with no sports have kind of turned sports off. Um, you know, I think the NFL, it took some crap for its decision to go on with its offseason, which includes this draft They should reap the benefits in terms of TV ratings and getting all the attention this week. Uh, We will see what goes wrong or doesn't, um, you know, with the digital draft where if everyone's following the rules, no one will be together. Each GM, coach, special teams coach, national scout, pro personnel director, uh, whomever for every team will all be in their house and connected at various times by various apps and phone calls and all of that. Um, as I record this, it's Monday afternoon, three days before the draft, and as I logged on and uh, got the computers ready to uh, be able to answer your questions and go through this, I saw a tweet from Adam Schefter that said, in the NFL's official mock draft, there was a glitch with the very first pick. Um, so the way the NFL was going to do that was to make every team uh, make a trade in the first round of the mock draft before picking you know, a, a player that doesn't matter to go through the details and then just pick an order in the second round and allow them to to call around and make some trades and and do all that um so uh, there is concern um and we will see but anyway thank you for listening thank you for reading if you're not an athletic subscriber what are you waiting for we got tons and tons of draft coverage and we've got a 90-day free trial um so when you just click through any of my articles or any athletic article Uh, It will bring you up a window where you can sign up for the free trial and we will have this thing covered as we have and as we always do, you know, on draft weekend. Uh, What we're going to do today, it's just me, Zach Jackson. Uh, We're going to do the Askin Jackson version of this. So I've solicited questions really for for a couple of weeks, um, as as we always do for the mailbags from the Twitter section. But as we kind of put the story budget together, uh, there really wasn't room for another story that there's going to be a lot for you guys to read leading up to the draft. We wanted to do the podcast. Um, you know, there's only so much you can break down. And, and when it comes to tackles, I think that's another reason why maybe the excitement has, has been muted from from the Browns Browns fans perspective is it's to tackle. And you obviously hope you can hit a home run or at least a double and you, you want the guy to be a good player. But You know, who really knows about these guys, right? And I know some people come on Twitter and purport to know everything about football and act like they invented football. 
But the fact is they're, they're tackles. Um, they're anonymous when they're playing well, and, um, you know, we'll see. So there is much new. I have to say, just from my perspective, games aren't for months, and, and I hope that it's just four months away in September. But I, um, I've been very impressed by the Browns. They've been aggressive in the offseason. They've added experience. They've added talent. You know, uh, getting Austin Hooper and Jack Conklin on the first day says they weren't going to be outbid. They knew that. They did their work. Um, for a first-time front office, they seem to be on the same page. So we will see. The proof will be um, in the pudding, so to speak, and we will find out. Um, here, starting Thursday night, the Browns have seven picks. Uh, they do not have a fifth-round pick. They have two third-rounders, the second of which uh, a comp pick at the end of the third round from the Duke-Johnson trade uh, last year. So, you know, my feeling from talking with people, from knowing – a little bit about how they've operated, uh, and they already wanted to be secretive. This allowed them to be even more secretive. I think they feel like one of those third-rounders is the bonus pick. Um, if they want to go get a veteran with it, if they want to make a, a trade um, and get a guy, and we'll see. So, you know, if the Browns were playing a game today, and obviously they're not, we're not even – we're probably months, unfortunately, from the Browns even having a practice. Uh, they have a hole at left tackle. Uh, I know they have Andrew Sandejo at free safety, but I think you would prefer to start a rookie or, or a more impactful player than him. And then at linebacker, you know, we'll see. Um, Kirksey and Schobert leaving is not a total surprise. Neither of those guys was the perfect player, and obviously Kirksey had only played in, I think, nine games over the last two years. But that's a lot of experience, a lot of savvy to, to let go out the door. Um, Joe Schobert played every single snap in 15 of the 16 games last year. He'd called the signals, you know, for three seasons. Uh, three seasons ago, Kirksey and, and uh, Schobert played every down almost. They they were two of the top five guys in the whole league in doing that. So, um, you know, maybe this group doesn't value linebacker. Maybe they really trust in Mac Wilson and Sione Taki Taki. Maybe there's an early draft plan, and maybe they'll get Isaiah Simmons, or maybe they'll take a tackle, then trade back into the first round and get one of those other guys, Queen from LSU or Patrick Murray from Oklahoma or whomever they deem. You know, I think the two names to watch to me at linebacker a little bit later in the draft are Logan Wilson from Wyoming and Akeem Davis-Gaither from Appalachian State, who's a little bit of a Schobert clone in that he's a small guy, uh, and he's more athletic, I believe, than Schobert. But just his his bread and butter is the pass coverage and the instincts. Um and one time I remember asking Joe Schobert, like, you know, middle linebackers, you think the big the big shoulder pads, right, and the big thumpers that they used to be, um, you know, and you are 220, 225 pounds. And he said, well, you know, if those big guys get your, their hands on you, you're done anyway. So it's about being quick. It's about reading. And, and we'll see, you know, what happens there. Um, I don't have any personal preference on the tackles because I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys I know how to evaluate them. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and act like I have some insight on the draft plan because the Browns have kept it under lock and key. And again, as it is most years, it's a new regime with no track record. So, you know, we can go back and see the previous two drafts that Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta sat at the head of the table. We can say a Kevin Stefanski offense wants to load up on tight ends, wants to run first. Um, you know, but we, we truly don't know in, in terms of who I like, what I see. I mean, th this is the honest truth, guys. When, when you're in my spot, yes, you want the Browns to be uh, a much better, more competitive, more relevant team uh, organization than they've been. 
But the truth is you're just glad that you don't have to learn how to spell Tua's last name or even pronounce it, quite frankly, uh, when you're a writer. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, I, I have um, a bit of cautious optimism. I do have questions. Uh, but I, I think there's talent here. I know there's talent here. Uh, and it didn't come together last year for many, many, many reasons. So uh, it's a huge year for Baker Mayfield. It's a huge year for the Browns. In the draft, no matter where you are in terms of that building uh, process, it's always about talent acquisition. It's always where it starts. And so you have to get guys. They don't all have to be knockouts on day one. And they don't all have to be home runs, period. Um, as I mentioned on the A to Z podcast last week, you know, the Ravens took Lamar Jackson, and he's the MVP. But six picks before they took Lamar Jackson, they took Hayden Hurst, a tight end who's already not on their team. Um, and then going back many, many drafts, Marshall Yonda just retired. He's headed for Canton. They picked him in the third round, the second of two third-round picks. Earlier in that same round, uh, they took Yaman Figures, who was about in the league for about two and a half years and was not a memorable player in Ravens history. So it's not an exact science. It's better to be lucky than good. But acquiring the talent, using the draft to maximize um, your assets, maximize your depth level, your talent level, and really set your foundation is the way to do it. So it's always going to matter. It's always going to be big. And it's a big draft for the Browns because, um, you know, guys, you would like to think that there's finally a group that buries Stefanski D. Podesta finally the group that gets it right, that gets the time and does it. But we know groups here have not gotten more than two years. That's just facts. And if the Browns don't make the playoffs this year, next year becomes 20 seasons uh, since they haven't, right? And that you don't think the Haslam's, uh, that number's going to be out there and it would wear on them. So, again, we'll focus on this week. But uh, just telling you the truth about how I see it and how it might be. Thank you for the questions. Um, if you're new to the Askin Jackson concept all the time, uh, you can tweet them to me using the hashtag or put them in the comments section um, of any of the athletic stories. And I make a note. Um, question here from Ian. It says, Peter King is a second NFL type. I've heard say the Browns love Ezra Cleveland. What is the most likely scenario to play out if Cleveland is their number one OT? Trade back, select him late in the first, or get the best available at 10 and hope he falls to 41? Yeah, I mean, I'm a skeptical um, of – any kind of draft rumor linking any name out there because I just think the Browns have kept it under lock and key, and I think if they've allowed it to get out, uh, it might be by design more than anything else. But uh, Ezra Cleveland absolutely knocked out the spark score, the athletic testing portion of the combine. He was second behind Tristan Wirfs, who's a once-in-a-lifetime freak and finished in the 99th percentile um, among tackles with, with his spark score. And in the tie to that, guys, is uh, Andrew Barry was with the Eagles last year. They took a tackle at number 22 overall, Andre Dillard, who was the number one tackle in Spark score. So if you look at that, you can make that connection. Um, you know, Ezra Cleveland, as, as people, as I've asked around, is not a finished product. You know, played Boise State, was there four years, played for three, started for three, has played left tackle, which, you know, we'll see. You know how much that matters. Andrew Barry came out on the record and said he's he's not a huge believer that it matters as much as maybe it used to, or that it will affect their evaluation process in in the big scheme. <clears throat> um, you know, I'm not sure he's ready. I, any left tackle here, I have worries. Any rookie tackle, 21 years old, and I think Jedrick Wills is the one who doesn't even turn 21 until after um, the draft takes place. You're going to put him out there 
and you're going to ask a lot of them, so we'll see. I'm not completely ruling out Trent Williams. I'm certainly not ruling out adding Jason Peters as the stopgap in the tutor. Um, but it, the most likely scenario with that, Ian, to answer your question, is I think they if the Browns don't take a tackle with their first pick, whether it's at 10 or, or 12 or 14 or 15, after it all shakes out, then I would think they would trade back up, and I would think San Francisco at 31 – um, looking to sell their second first-round pick and looking to add some mid-round picks since they don't have a pick between 31 and the fifth round. I would think that's the more likely scenario. Uh, I know Dane Brugler in his monster seven-round full-league full mock draft had Josh Jones out of Houston uh, at 33 to the Bengals. I know he had Ezra Cleveland and Austin Jackson early. I know Daniel Jeremiah, a guy who I know and, and respect as much as anyone in this draft game, has said he has heard that Austin Jackson, another young guy, um, three years and into the draft is going to go in the first round. Um, teams are not going to wait on tackles. So if they don't, to, to answer your question in as short a way as possible after this long <laughs> winding road that I've taken you down, uh, if they don't take a tackle with their first pick, I would expect to trade back into the first round to see uh, if they get that tackle question from Chris and he says is this digital socially distanced draft set up the best way to keep the Haslam's from meddling Andrew Barry can just fake like he's losing connection every time as Haslam wants to assort his authority right Chris I'm nodding at you a digital tip of my cup even though I don't actually have a cup in front of me to that question Chris had another one do you believe the Trent Williams stalemate will have a resolution by day three of the draft or would the Browns have a chance to pursue that trade later depending on how the draft falls I mean, Chris Logic would say that it's time for this rift to end and they, the Redskins would trade Trent Williams during the draft and move along. However, it's gone on for this long. I don't think anyone knows. I think a breakup is inevitable, and I've heard people who know the Redskins a whole hell of a lot better than I do say that, uh, but I don't know. And not In addition to not knowing what the asking price is, because you're right, teams know they want to break up, so they're not going to come running with a second-round pick. Um, just the risk. He's older. He hasn't played. He had the health issue. Um, he's only under contract for one more season. You know, is, is he ready to go? Is he going to be medically cleared? Is he mentally ready to go? Um, is he going to come in and immediately want that money? So the Browns could get Trent Williams and he could be their starting left tackle and it could work, but you just gave a whole bunch of money to a guy who's your starting right tackle. Your center makes a bunch of money. Your left guard makes a bunch of money. And the Browns are in great cap shape right now, but we know the Miles Garrett mega extension is going to be a part of that, and we know who's right behind him. Hopefully your quarterback, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, as complicated as that may get. Um, you know, with, with an analytics-driven front office and recent running backs, you look at the money Christian McCaffrey got, and Chubb's a year away from that, so we'll see. So the, Brown, the Browns do have to keep their future in mind here. Um, they, they've, I, I think one of the things, and again, kudos to so far how this offseason has gone, you know, they, with the exception of Jack Conklin being your right tackle and then Austin Hooper being your number one tight end, which to me is, is a good thing, you know, they have left themselves flexibility financially. They can cut Olivier Vernon if, if they need to. Um, they don't have to. They kept Chris Hubbard on a shortened deal as a backup guy. You don't want him um, having to play, but he can compete for a guard spot. He can be your emergency tackle. He can help tutor that rookie. And, and you, when you look at this draft, I mean, they have options. They have trade options. They have positional options. And I, I think we could lay it out right now. And, and whether you 
are a huge fan and a religious reader or listener or whether you're just kind of casual and just now getting into the draft. I mean, offensive tackle, linebacker, safety, pass rusher. Uh, every team, you know, needs corners. It's a super rich receiver draft. Like, there, there's a hundred different ways this thing can go, and the Browns can make themselves better without being married to one situation. Obviously, they, they need a starting left tackle. And history says, again, to go back to the Trent Williams thing, that the best, smartest, most efficient way is to draft that guy and let him grow. But they have they have not only left themselves room, but their aggression earlier has made it seem like if there's a Yannick Nagakwe, if the Jets really wanted to trade Jamal Adams, and I'm not sure I believe that. You know, if they feel like that it, Ezra Cleveland or Austin Jackson are the guy in the future but not ready now, they could go get a left tackle for right now. They could do that. So, um, again, I, I think it's it's been really impressive, and eventually uh, there will be games, and, and we will find out, um, you know, how that will go. Question from a guy called, who calls himself Odd Runt on Twitter. What's the fastest you ever knew a Browns bust was a bust and why? This is an interesting question. Um you know, on the A to Z podcast a long time ago, I had Daniel Jeremiah on, and we were playing a little Remember When with the Browns, and he said um, that on the first day of the first minicamp, they knew Martin Rucker wasn't good enough to last in the NFL. But that was a fourth-round tight end, so uh, that will happen. That's back when DJ worked under Phil Savage uh, in the Browns' front office. I think Rucker was a 2009, uh, 8 or 9, uh, 2008, yeah, because Mangini was 09. Um as far as a bust bust in the first rounder, and there's been too many of them, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel. <laughs> um, it was just clear from the start that he he w- was not in football, that he was not mature enough or ready wherever he was in his life and his demons um, to handle this. And, you know, even before that first camp, one of the famous stories, and I think, you know, I passed this along to Tom Reed, and he included this a couple years ago when he wrote that whole thing on the um, – just the disaster that the Haslam ownership has been. There's a restaurant here in the area where LeBron and, and the crew uh, have a private room and, and have access to it. And so it was a couple of weeks before training camp, and Maverick Carter was there with Johnny. And um, some people at the restaurant had taken some other customers back there with their permission to to meet these guys. And, and Johnny, of course, had, had had a couple of cocktails, and the people came back and got their autographs or got their pictures or wherever it was. And they said, hey, John, you know, thank you very much. They said, um, we, we hope that, you know, you'll be playing sooner than later. And Johnny's response was, <laughs> I mean, it's Brian Hoyer. Like, he really thought that he could just show up and compete, and he couldn't. So, um, you know, Cam Irving right away was a bad pick, uh, <laughs> quite obviously. Um, you know, I didn't say – I can't say I knew about Barkevius Mingo right away. He was so skinny, didn't really have a position. And I worried about Corey Coleman, but if you remember, Corey Coleman's one big game of his NFL career was his very second game. So, you know, they were – everybody kind of knew he was a project from a route runner and all-around receiver standpoint. But in that game, I mean, he showed off that extra gear. Uh, it just never happened. So that is an interesting question uh, from the odd run. And a nice little break up here to the uh, – Question here, question from Weimer. I hear Tony Grossi, and then never mind, we're going to skip on that question. Thanks for writing in, Weimer, from the doctor. Um, He asks, if multiple offensive tackles are gone and Isaiah Simmons is also gone, are Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw 
at 10 overall viable options for the Browns? Um, interesting question. My guess is no. Uh, I think if in that situation where the top tier of tackles, um, offensive tackles are gone and Simmons is gone, then the Browns are looking to trade out to a team that either wants to come up and get a receiver or wants a team to get up and get Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw. Kinlaw is a big freak, uh, kind of like a Sean Rogers type. He is not a Miles Garrett, Chase Young, uh, edge type defensive end. I mean, he can play all over the line, I think, and he he can get to the passer, but he is he's a huge guy. Um, and Derek Brown, I know there are mixed opinions on him. I, I just can't see the Browns taking defensive tackle. Um, they have Sheldon Richardson for at least one more year. They have Larry Joby for at least one more year. They just gave Andrew Billings a one-year contract. And, you know, great teams have dominant defensive lines, but I see the Browns putting resources into edge rushers, um, combo linebacker edge rushers, maybe trading for Yannick Nagakwe, maybe re-pursuing Jadavian Clowney right uh, you know, down the road, although it feels like that was kind of a an intentional leak to say to either put pressure on Clowney to take less money or to just kind of let it be known out there that they're in the edge rusher market um, for potential trade partners. So, no, I would be shocked if defensive tackle went 10. Um, you know, that being said, I think there's a lot of guesswork internally and externally on how those first nine picks are going to go. I do think at least two of the tackles will be gone. Obviously, three of them being gone would would be a tough situation for the Browns because they would either really have to like that fourth guy or maybe they like somebody in that perceived second tier or maybe then they go another position. But I'll say this, doctor, to to your question. I can't believe that three tackles and Simmons would be gone. I think if the tackles go, it's more likely that Simmons drops. The Browns take him, um, you know, fit him in at safety or linebacker and then work on getting back into the first round, but we'll see. A question from our buddy Seamonkey. He says, for the past several years, the NFL schedule was released approximately one week prior to the draft. Um, Should we anticipate a similar time frame this year? Yes. So the NFL came out already and said um, no later than May 9th for the schedule, and there have been plugged-in people who have said they expect a schedule that will not have division games um, until later. And specifically for the first two weeks and or four weeks, we'll have games, uh, cross-division games or out-of-conference games that can be lopped off in an even number of home and away, just in case the NFL gets in a situation where football can't restart. And this is on everyone's mind. Um, There's some other questions here. I'm glad I I got to this one and got to talking about it. No one knows, but they're going to put out a schedule. Um, That schedule, optimistically, is to my knowledge, going to involve teams playing true home games and playing their real 16-game schedules over the course of 17 weeks. Um, So we'll see how all that works out. But the NFL will dominate the news cycle for a few days here, take a week or so off, and then um, that that heading up to May 9th, um, not necessarily on May 9th, we'll release a schedule, and we will see then, um, you know, how it goes. So... Uh, obviously, everybody would love to play 16 games. Uh, obviously, people would love to have fans in the stands. I, I, it seems that in some places it's already a lot that that's not going to happen. But the NFL, unlike Major League Baseball and the NBA, has time on its side here in terms of the actual schedule not starting. Uh, I do think teams with new coaches, with young players, will be affected Uh, by losing the spring work. There is no doubt about that, but it's one of those situations where it's out of everyone's control. No one knows, 
you know, what the extent of that will be. And holding out hope is optimistic, obviously. Is it too optimistic that training camps can start on time, that there can be a regular preseason? You know, I don't know. And I really, throughout this whole thing, try not to be a doctor or a scientist or anything other than a mediocre football writer um, because I know what I know with that. Um, but, but, you know, like I said, the NFL has that built-in advantage. There was another question along those lines that I want to address right now. Let me uh, see if I can find it here. Um, hmm. Sorry, I know there's – oh, okay. It's it's from Chris who submitted several questions. And, he, and Chris's question this time is, if conditions linger into the fall, could you envision the NFL trying to do something to the plan that's been reported by Major League Baseball, like potentially hosting all the games in a location like Arizona with no fans? Uh, Chris, I think everything's on the table. I think baseball let that out in a way to say, this is what we got. Let's let's gauge public reaction. Let's get some people to work on why that could work and why it couldn't. And, you know, there's just so many complications and asterisks and maybes tied to this whole deal, um, you know, that we don't know. But to me, baseball, you know, you pick up your team and they have their spring training facilities already. And, and you just go. But in football, these mega million dollar facilities that host these teams, um, the Browns training complex, if you've never been there in Berea, is an incredible place. The Ravens built a new one about 10 years ago, uh, the Under Armour Performance Center that is absolutely unreal. The Steelers share theirs with the University of Pittsburgh uh, over there on the south side. Um, you can't just move an NFL team into a dorm or a golf resort or something like that. So, you know, if there's going to be a season, at least during the week, I am confident that they're going to train. The Browns are going to train in Cleveland. The, the Steelers are going to train in Pittsburgh and so on. You know, as for the games, could they be played not in one location, but in a handful of locations? Yeah. I mean, do I think there's a possibility that in some areas those NFL teams have to move? To areas that haven't been sure, I, I think that's in play. But again, I I don't I hesitate to go too far with that because that's not an idea that comes to me from anyone higher up in the league or anything like that. That's that's my read on the situation. So it does seem likely that if there are games uh, as scheduled on the second weekend of September, that there will not be fans, at least in most places, or or maybe in all places. We'll see. But man, the NFL is a long season from September to February, so. I trust that the league will continue to do all its homework. There seems to be hell-bent on, on having a season. Um, you know, guys, if there's no college football or high school football, NFL games could be on three or four nights a week regularly instead of just on occasion, although I guess they're already on three nights a week, but it could be more spread out. There could be three games every Saturday. Again, I'm spitballing. I, I don't know. Um, we'll see. You know, obviously we're all invested in it on some level. It is going to be awkward that the Browns are going to pick players and those rookies aren't coming here for a minicamp and an orientation and an acclimation period with OTAs and rookie uh, off-field training programs and all that stuff. So, um, you know, everybody's going to be playing the same waiting game and, um, you know, you just have to trust in the league and the, the smart people, the doctors and the scientists that they'll trust uh, that eventually, safely and smartly, they can hopefully, you know, get back to football, and uh, we will see how it looks. But I, I just think that the Browns will be based in Cleveland and will play games in Cleveland unless something happens that I, I really don't know or unless they don't don't play games at all. So 
Uh, question from Nathan. He says, any consideration to adding the best receiver in round one and the best safety in round two and then trading for Williams or signing Peters? Ruggs or Lamb might put our passing game over the top. I just can't see the Browns taking a receiver in the first round. Matter of fact, to go back to a couple questions ago, I think it's more likely that they would take a defensive tackle than taking a receiver. I, I think they can get a good receiver later. And I, as I mentioned, the thought that the, one of the, the, those third-round picks is a bonus pick and they can maybe go get a guy, then sure. I just cannot see this team, as tempting as it might be, with Henry Ruggs taking the top off of defenses or C.D. Lamb. Um, you know, potentially becoming the next DeAndre Hopkins. I just, I can't see the Browns using a round one pick on a receiver. Not, not with a glaring hole at left tackle. Not with the budgetary concerns of the coming years when you can lock up um, left tackle uh, at a reasonable price. And not with the holes on the defense. I, I just, I think you just have to get impact players on that defense before you go to wide receiver. So I could be wrong, Nathan, and, and it's an interesting question. Uh, there is certainly an element of mystery to everything involving the Browns here. But uh, my answer for right now is that I would be shocked. Um, Dave had asked, does Las Vegas get next year's draft? No, the NFL has announced that Cleveland is hosting next year's draft, and Vegas will go back in the rotation the year after that. Um, as I click up the rest of them here, uh, multiple choice from Roger. He asks, concerning Andrew Barry's statement from earlier today, I think that I think the distinction between left tackle and right tackle is really outdated, and obviously this was back on April 10th when Andrew Barry made that statement. Roger asks if, A, I think Andrew Barry absolutely believes it, B, he's hoping that's the case, C, it's a smokescreen to divert attention from the Browns' actual target, or D, he does not believe it at all. I told Roger immediately that this was an interesting question. Um, you know, I would, I would say a mix of, of A and B. Uh, I don't think there's any smokescreen element in that, although Andrew Barry has been steadfast in saying, you know, guys, obviously we're studying the tackle class, and we know at the Combine that's the first group that the Browns interviewed. Now, but part of that is the offensive players are there first. Let's just be honest. Um, and we know they, they have a pretty glaring hole there, but he has been steadfast in saying that the Browns are doing their homework on every single position, that they're not married to one position or one thought and that they're not necessarily drafting a left tackle. So in terms of um, what I don't believe and he doesn't believe his own talk there, Roger, sure. But, you know, as far as that, he did cite examples of Tyron Smith, maybe the best tackle in the game today, playing right in college and moving over to the left. Um, that Jack Conklin was a left tackle and now makes a ton of money as a right tackle and one of the best at his position. You know, the thought is that you used to just put your best pass rusher out the right edge and he would go against your left tackle. Um, it doesn't happen anymore. There's too many good pass rushers. Defenses move too many guys around. Some say that the best tackle in this draft is Jedrick Wills. He was exclusively a right tackle at Alabama. There would be a little bit of reprogramming, and Andrew Barry did say that. But, you know, he was a blindside tackle. Tua was a left-handed quarterback. Um, Wills is, is not the on-paper athlete that Tristan Wirfs is, that Ezra Cleveland is, uh, he still had a solid spark score. Um, he was a basketball player growing up. He has light feet. Um, you know, <clears throat> we'll see. That, that I think yours is really an interesting question, and I'm glad that I clicked on this one I did because I told you that I'd get that in the mailbag, and we'll see. Um, 
As to the thought that that's a quote that will follow Andrew Barry for a long time, if they draft the wrong guy, sure. But it's it's less about the quote and more about if they draft the wrong guy. And, and again, as I look at, at risks and questions with this team, um, you know, on paper right now, months from playing any game, really experienced offense and potentially a really good offense, although we thought that last year, right? Uh, I worry about a rookie left tackle. I worry about T.J. Watt ending the Browns season, right? And then on defense, you know, you look at the young linebackers and B.J. Goodson being, frankly, just a guy brought here on a one-year contract. Um, You know, maybe he will be a a true middle linebacker on rundowns, and maybe he will be a real blessing and real teacher um, to the young guys they had last year and whomever they had in the draft. Or maybe he's, you know, just free agent again because he's not that good of a player and the Browns were able to get him because there wasn't that much interest. We'll see. So I have um, can, some questions about that. Dave asks, has life changed for you at all in the lockdown? Well, Dave, um, I've been stocking up on these sweatpants for a long, long time. And I finally um, have got to use them all in, in a one-month period. So um, first of all, if you're still listening, thank you. A reminder that The Athletic is free for 90 days to new subscribers. Just click on any story. We will have you covered all weekend long. Um, This is the pre-draft podcast, and I've already talked with Jason Lloyd about uh, at various points this weekend, either diving in and doing a quick podcast if the Browns make a surprise pick or a big pick or a big trade. And then, of course, we'll wrap everything up afterwards. Um, Question from James. It always takes two to tango, but in trade-down scenarios, do you foresee the Browns putting an emphasis on acquiring 2021 picks? It seems like with them starting late, coupled with incomplete athletic profiles, that they may want to reduce risk this way. Um, Agree with your thought. I think it's an interesting question and and potentially an important question, James. I think a lot of teams, after a certain point in this draft, would love to be able to just wait until next year. Um, And I think you'll see... If there, is, if there are significant trades early, I think you'll see an emphasis on teams trying to acquire next year's uh, picks. The Browns already have an extra four, extra five, and extra seven for next year. Um, however, the flip side of that is I think some teams will say, okay, you know, we can get sixth and seventh rounders here and we can take some shots. And so this guy's still available because we don't have – we didn't get a true 40 time on him. We don't have updated medical information on him, whatever it may be. Um, we don't, you know, we didn't get to fill out the profile as, as you mentioned, because there was no pro day because he didn't run in Indy because of whatever lingering, you know, thing. And they might say to themselves, Hey, let's take a stab on three guys here that in a normal draft would not have still been available in round six or round seven. And if one of them hits, then we win big. So, uh, that's just going to be a strategy thing. You know, as it stands now, the Browns don't pick in the fifth, only have one in the sixth, only have one in the seventh. Do I expect them to move around to some area to, to add more picks? Sure. Would there probably potentially be an emphasis on those being 2021 picks instead? Yeah. Um, but even the flip side of that, James, is if the Browns were to make a move for a Nagakwe, uh, for a Jamal Adams, for an Anthony Harris, for a Trent Williams. I think those teams might ask for 2021 picks. And, and Nagakwe is the first one um, that comes to mind. You know, Jacksonville has 12 picks this year and is in a rebuild. And if they're dumping him, uh, even though the re- relationship seems beyond repair, it seems like they're pointing to the future and, and possibly Trevor Lawrence or Fields a year from now. So if I'm Jacksonville um, and, and the asking price for Nagakwe is three picks, right? 
well, then I want one this year and two next year. So um, you might be on to something there. Question from Eric. Um, assuming the draft goes on as planned, this new process with no workouts or meetings, do you think it's going to level the playing field as far as team scouting or make the gap between good teams and bad teams bigger or possibly no effect? Well, I'll start by saying this. A couple of weeks ago, I went out to Youngstown to visit Lynn Bowden, um, a guy who I think might be the next Josh Cribbs. And uh, Kentucky got its top two quarterbacks hurt last year, uh, four games into the season. They put Lynn Bowden, a quarterback, they basically designed a Wildcat offense, and he went on to lead the SEC in rushing. So uh, Lynn had a hamstring issue in early um, combine training. He was advised not to run at the combine. He was going to wait until pro day where he thought he was going to light it up and really help his stock because he's a guy that can play running back, wide receiver, return kicks, uh, you know, even quarterback in certain situations. And that pro day never happened. So sitting on his grandmother's front store, uh, front step at an appropriate social distance. And I said, Lynn, you know, it's not to put words in your mouth, but it's got to be disappointing for a guy like you who can do so much to not have had individual workouts where teams who really like you could have put you through things and seen you do things they'll exactly be asking you to do in certain ways. And, you know, and I said, and I know teams don't have a 40 time on you because you weren't able to run. And he looked at me and he said, I would tell him to watch the tape. I led the SEC in rushing in eight games. And I said, I nodded. So, um, you know, as far as the actual question, Eric, and does that, you know, widen the gap? I don't know. I think tape scouting and initial impressions, I think sticking with that can help you be right. But there are reasons that teams, uh, as we've referenced before, want all the data points filled out, want all the blanks filled in. And re even though it came off to some as whining and, you know, you're a millionaire, just do your job when GMs were like, I can't believe we're having the draft. I mean, if they draft a guy that can't play because he has a bad knee or just – you know, would have uncovered something later in the process. That's how GMs get fired, and so that's that's the reality of it. You know, until we see it, Eric, I can't answer that question that it makes the smart teams smarter, makes the good teams better, whatever. Just like I can't answer how much are the Browns with a new staff, new regime, and however many new guys they'll have hurt by not having spring or whatever, because we don't know. Um, you know, obviously they would have loved to have been having practice here in three weeks. They would have loved to have had the veterans in for two weeks already in formal workouts and, and getting, um, you know, the schemes and just getting to know their coaches. You know, they just, they, in probably a lot of cases, they just haven't met their position coaches or their coordinators. I know they've called and texted and they can still do that, but it is, it, it is going to impact it, but how greatly or how detrimental that will be. Um, you know, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll get out of here on this one. Uh, question from Scott. What is your ideal scenario for the nine picks in front of the Browns? And if a scenario happens where every offensive tackle is on board, who do you think the Browns take? Well, this was on April 6th that Scott submitted it. I think it's more likely that at least three of them are gone now. Uh, again, I don't know. What's my ideal scenario? Honestly, my, my ideal scenario is one in which the Browns could trade down, um, say two picks to the Raiders, pick up some extra ammo, and still get the guy they really want at 12. Um, the thing about going down to 15 or 16, 15 Denver, 16 Atlanta, two teams that have publicly been out there as far as wanting to move up, Atlanta presumably for a defensive lineman, Denver presumably for a wide receiver, is you go behind the Bucks at 14 and you know they need a tackle, right? Um, the Jets, they're one spot behind you. They, they want a tackle or a wide receiver. Um, no one knows. You know, the Raiders – 
could also want Isaiah Simmons. So I'm fine with having options. I know the whole trade down thought gives um, you know gives people uh, chills, Browns fans from from times before when it didn't work out. But I'm for adding ammo, and I'm for trusting your gut. And I, I think this group will be organized and ready to the point that um, you know they'll be ready. And, and if they th- they will only make a trade if they still think they can get one of their top guys. So he, you know you rank every player in the in this when, when you're a team when you're on the inside. You rank and you evaluate every player. Well, obviously the Browns know they're not in the quarterback business. They're not in the early running back business. They're probably not in the wide receiver um, and defensive tackle business. They're certainly not in the guard and center business, right? So when you're sitting at 10, you really can narrow it down to about three guys. And then off of those three guys, you can narrow it down to about three ways of what it would go. Who would we, who, if they call and want to trade down, what, you know, where, how far willing would we be to go? And what's our asking price? If it goes a certain way and we need to trade up to get, the second or third of those three guys. What are we willing to do? What are we comfortable with giving up? You know, and, and so I, it, they're in a good spot. I keep using the word flexibility. And financially and position-wise, this is a building team. They would love to make the playoffs, and they certainly operated in March like they're going to. But this is not a Super Bowl team. This is a third-place team until we see it, Right. And they have options. So to just get good football players, just acquire assets, and keep that flexibility, upgrade your overall talent level while you're waiting on um, getting better and knowing that you're closer to those teams in your division, let alone the rest of the AFC. We'll see. Um, I said, I think you should, if you're out there and you're listening, you're a Browns fan, and if you're still listening here at minute 41, then you certainly are. Uh, a little optimism's good. And I think... The organization is healthier right now um, than it's been over recent years. I think the roster is in a pretty good spot, a better spot certainly than it's been a lot of times. And, um, you know, there's no wins yet. There's no losses either. We will see how that goes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Again, it's hashtag Akron, uh, Askin Jackson. I'm at Akron Jackson on Twitter. Um, I don't know when exactly you're listening to this, but Tom Reed has a tackle story uh, examining that question about Andrew Barry and playing which side. I've got a couple more um, stories coming up. I have put my trade mock up this morning, and we will have you covered uh, from every possible angle as we count down to Thursday and then into Friday and Saturday. So get on board with us. Thanks for listening to Civilized Barking.